this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Okay, guys, a number of weeks ago, I started a, a teaching series out of the book of Acts. It's just where the Lord had stirred me from the beginning of this year, uh, reading through the book of Acts and really encouraging me and giving me vision of what this next year of ministry ought to look like if we were to be people full of the Holy Spirit. And that led us uh, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that led us to looking at the foundations of a healthy church. And I started preaching on the five characteristics of a spirit-baptized church, as we find in Acts chapter 2. We saw the foundation being that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to communion, um, and fellowship. I mess the order up there, but they're all four there. We talked about those serving as the foundation of the healthy church, but we go on in the verses preceding, or not preceding, uh, proceeding that, uh, right after we see... Uh, the church walking in these five different characteristics. We see them walking in the fear of the Lord, in signs and in wonders. We see them operating in supernatural unity, radical generosity, and simplicity of heart, or the way that I would explain that is godly contentment. And uh, I have outlined these messages to preach, and I'm excited to preach them. So this week, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I preached on the fear of the Lord, and I was going to preach this morning on signs and wonders, but I cannot in good conscience share that message with you guys today. Um, If I'm being 100% honest, um, I think that there's something that's plaguing a lot of us, and it plagued me uh, this entire last week um, in terms of discouragement. I don't know about you, but does anybody in this room ever struggle with being discouraged? Ever struggle with depression or disappointment? Uh, I'm glad that some of you still have your hands up. Like, that is me. Okay. Um, I'm in good company then today. Uh, This last week was pretty brutal for me, if I'm being honest. And there wasn't a lot of practical reasons for that. We had just got done with a men's retreat that was really powerful. God was clearly moving. I got to hang out with a friend on Tuesday and, and, and got good reports of different things. But there was something more that was taking place that really just had me wrapped up. Um, and I was hurt. I was broken. And I remember sitting here uh, on a Tuesday afternoon just sitting in my truck for like two hours because I just could not find it in myself to get out and get the things done I needed to do. I sat and I cried like a manly man <laughs> just because something was wrong. And can, I, I want to talk today a little bit about discouragement. I want to talk today about disappointment and depression because I believe that this is something that the enemy has in his tool bag. And the, the reality is we don't like to talk about it as a church. We don't like to talk about it as Christians, because we know we should be the happiest people on the planet. And if we're not, you know, uh, Jill, I love you. You're awesome. She came, she came up to me and asked me how I was doing today. And I was like, okay. And she was like, well, that's discouraging. You should be chipper. You should be great. <laughs> you did say that. It's okay. It played into my story. 
oh, well, you didn't use the word chipper. You said that's a bummer. Whatever. The reality of it is, um, guys, there are hard days. And uh, even the happiest people that we know still face discouragement, still face depression. In fact, we see godly men and women in the Bible, mightily used by God, struggle with depression. And so my question to you this morning, and what I want to talk about, what do we do when God's people are depressed? Is that, is, that, is that okay? Does anybody ever struggle with that? I've already asked that. You already raised your hands. I don't know why I'm asking that question again. But despite all the good that I had seen God do, despite all the, the, the powerful aspects of his ministry that took place last Sunday morning, I had every reason to be encouraged, yet the enemy still found a way to slip in and trip me up. And uh, the reality of it is, friends, I wasn't doing good. I was ready to quit. I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to, I gave God all my reasons on why stuff shouldn't be happening and just how life was unfair. Any of you ever just have like a pity party with God ever? And uh, you look back on it and it's like, oh, that was kind of silly. But the reality, friends, is that was uh, where I was at. And I could not in good conscience come from that place and sit down and work on a sermon about miracles and work on a sermon about signs and wonders and having faith for God to move. You know, I, I've got it written out. I, I've got my scripture references picked. And I, I could have easily come before you this morning and preached something that my heart was not completely in. But I refuse to do that, friends. Um, and the reality is, uh, your pastor this last week was very discouraged. He wasn't operating full of faith in believing that God could move mountains. He was very much... Uh, feeling like a broken, just kind of pile of garbage, if I was very real. And uh, I want to talk to you about what to do when that happens. Amen? Is that okay? <laughs> Guys, I have friends that struggle with anxiety, um, and I don't uh, know about everyone here, but uh, I've learned something that doesn't help when people are nervous and anxious, is to tell them, hey, dude, don't worry about it. Stop stressing out. It's like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> and uh, as much as that, like, in my mind seems like, oh, yeah, that's a comforting, like, well-intentioned sentiment, really doesn't help very much, right? I, I'm glad that I got a lot of responses to that because they're like, Pastor Nate, you've done that to me before. Um, <laughs> oops. <laughs> and the same thing happens with depression and discouragement. You got, come, you got people that come alongside and they say, hey, man, cheer up. It's not that bad. It's like, man, if I could just cheer up, I would do it. Nobody actually really wants to be depressed. But when I was there on Tuesday, just, just in a funk, uh, I was, uh, and my wife is wonderful and she's awesome and she comes alongside me and she listens to me complain and she listens to just me vent and all this stuff. Uh, her response wasn't just like, Okay, well, cheer up, Nate. Because <laughs> we understand that that doesn't just happen. That just doesn't help. It's not that I wanted to be in a funk. It's not that I wanted to be depressed or discouraged. Nobody actually wants that. We want to be happy. But a lot of the times, we just don't know how. You know, I, I think of Paul when he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he tells us, always be joyful. I want to punch that guy in the face. 
If I'm being honest, can I say that? Can I say that as a pastor? Um, probably not. And he goes on to say, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And I have been guilty of this, friends, of having people in a down and dark place where they don't feel like praying, where they don't feel like doing the will of God, and they're definitely not joyful. And I'm like, hey, brother, stop being depressed. You're living in sin. Jesus told us to always be joyful. What? I get that that's true, and I, I believe that this is a command of Scripture. That's something that we have to strive for. But what do you do when you're not joyful? What do you do on days when you don't want to pray? What do you do on days where you feel like you can't possibly fulfill the will of the Lord? Because there have been days when I haven't been the slightest bit joyful, where I felt like I couldn't pray, and gratitude was the last thing that I was walking in. You know, I wasn't thanking Jesus for the kind of mess and the, the crud that I was walking through. It was the last thing on my heart and my mind. And I imagine I'm not the only one in this room that has days like that. I can guarantee you, regardless of how spiritual you might think you are, there have been moments where you didn't feel like praying. There have been moments where you weren't thankful for what you were walking through, and you probably weren't joyful. And I'm not, I'm not here to say, well, it's okay. I don't believe that that's okay. But I do believe it's necessary that we address it and talk about what to do when we are in that place. Amen? And so, if you're like me, your feelings don't always match up to your knowledge. Because I... Uh, I know God is good, but it doesn't always feel that way, right? I know that God can be trusted, but it doesn't always feel that way, right? I know that God loves me, but I don't always feel loved by God. And I know these things not just because I'm a pastor, but I've seen them again and again, and I have encountered it in my life. I've heard it said, I've, heard it, I've read it in scripture, and I've demonstrated it firsthand. But regardless of the fact that I've seen that happen, and God's never let me down, there are still those moments, there's still those seasons of life where my feelings don't match up with what I know in my spirit. So what do you do when that happens? You see, the common rhetoric is that we can't operate based on feeling alone, that our, our emotions are deceptive, right? How many of you guys have heard that? How many of you guys have preached that? And so we, I, think the, I think the idea there is that our emotions are somehow evil. Our emotions are some kind how fleshly and they can't be trusted in the slightest. But the reality is God created mankind as an emotional being. God himself has emotions. God himself can be pleased. God himself feels things. And if, if your gut response is to uh, kind of push down the way that you feel or ignore the way that you feel, something is wrong. And I want to tell you, your feelings have merit. Now, I'm not saying they should direct every aspect of your life. I have had people make bad decisions based on feeling alone, but I am saying that we cannot ignore them. If you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling like you can't trust God, if you're feeling unloved, those are indicators that there is something that needs to be addressed. 
So hear me out. I'm not saying operate based on feeling alone, but the reality is God created your emotions. And he is the God that can minister and move through your emotions as well. So what do we do when our feelings don't match up with what we know to be true? Let's look at the story of Elijah. You guys know Elijah? Old Testament prophet, pretty hardcore. He was fed by ravens. He was a Tishbite. He shows up on the scene, and uh, he just starts, like, calling Ahab out. He calls out this wicked king of Israel for all the junk that he's doing. And in 1 Kings 18, we see the prophets of Baal and Elijah kind of match up in this epic showdown. So there's 850 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. They come together. Ahab comes together. They get up on Mount Carmel, and they said, hey, let's have a little contest here. The God who answers by fire, he's God. Let's settle this once and for all. You guys do whatever you want, and they spend all day, right? The prophets of Baal spend all day uh, doing all the, all the crazy stuff. They're cutting themselves. They're dancing around the altar. And they're asking for Baal, who is an idol, uh, who is a false god, to come and consume their sacrifice with fire. Elijah is picking on them and saying, hey, is your god in the bathroom? Where'd he go? What's going on? All this crazy stuff. And just kind of like an instigator, and I really like Elijah for that. And from sunup to sundown, nothing happens. And so Elijah says, okay, back up, boys. Let me show you how it's done right? He prepares the altar of the Lord, and he cuts up this bowl, and then he, he digs a trench in the middle of a drought because Elijah had prayed three and a half years earlier for the rain to stop, and God listened to him. Uh, so it's in the midst of an intense drought that he digs this trench around the altar. He covers and douses the sacrifice with water to the place where it fills up the trench. Now, I don't know about you, but wet things don't burn very well, right? Like that's just kind of, if you want something to burn, uh, you don't typically pour water on it. It's not really like physics, like thermodynamics or something like that. That, that isn't how it works. Um, anyway, he prays to the Lord. The Lord responds by uh, consuming the sacrifice with fire. And all of Israel, it says in 1 Kings chapter 18, recognize that the Lord is God. And they, they fall on their faces. They say, the Lord, he is God. They see, Elijah commands the seizure of all of the prophets of Baal. They get executed on the scene. It's pretty graphic. It's pretty brutal. And then Elijah prays to the Lord that it might rain. You could kind of cut here, and it would be the perfect story, right? It'd be like, man, that's a great movie. I feel good about myself. Uh, happy ending, loose ends are tied up. Elijah, the mighty man of God, is victorious, and he rides off into the sunset, right? That's how I picture this going. <laughs> um, my wife uh, and I have uh, different tastes in movies. I'm far more the person that loves, like, a good, like, just honest ending. My wife wants the happy-go-lucky tie-all the things together. She would tell you that she doesn't watch movies to be realistic. She watches movies because she wants to feel better about the world. 
I particularly, I remember there was a particular movie that I loved in high school, and it's not that good. I don't know why I liked it, but I think the soundtrack was good. But at the end of the movie, it's this like rom-com movie um, that uh, the guy doesn't get the girl at the end. And it's just kind of it's just kind of depressing at the end. But I was like, I can relate to that, so I like this movie. It's gonna be it's gonna be my movie. I remember sitting down and watching it with Kelly for the first time. She's like, this movie is terrible. Like I feel bad watching this. It's not a happy ending. Why are we doing this? Why are we wasting our time? Is there an alternate ending? Like this is dumb. How many of you guys know that? Uh, <laughs> A lot of the times where we end movies, there's stuff that happens after that's not a lot of fun. Um, and the same thing happens here in 1 Kings 19. It would be the perfect place to end the movie, 1 Kings 18, right? It's a happily ever after moment, but that's not the end of Elijah's story. We pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19 in verse 1. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel. Jezebel was Ahab, Ahab's wicked king of Israel. Jezebel is his wicked wife. Uh, they're in cahoots. They're not nice people. They're not serving the Lord. Um, so Ahab comes home and he tells his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done about how he had had this conquest on Mount Carmel where God, where God showed up and answered with fire and also how he had ex executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I'm not a pastor that does a lot with alliteration or, you know, acronyms or anything like that. But uh, Elijah was suffering from the triple D syndrome here, if you will. And I'm not talking like Guy Fieri, Fieri with, you know, diner divings and drives. I'm talking about uh, what? Drivers, divings, something, diamonds, dogs. I don't know. My, my son has a book with D's. And it's all about things that begin with D's, and it's like dinos. And there's a cat on there, and I don't know what that's supposed to be. Is there another name for a cat that begins with a D? No? Okay. Cool. <laughs> but we see him struggling with disappointment, discouragement, and it grows into full-blown depression where he asks God that he might die. We see it start with disappointed, disappointment, right? Elijah has this expectation of national revival, right? He just came off everything that he has spent the last like three and a half years of ministry towards where they have been in drought, where he's been trying to get the people to pay attention to Yahweh. It, it kind of culminates in this epic climax moment where God answers with fire. It's deliberate. And it, it was supposed to be this kind of end point. He says, let's settle this once and for all. If God is God, he will answer with fire. If Baal is God, he'll answer with fire. And God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one that answers. And the people respond. It says all of the people responded. They fell on their faces and cried out, uh, the Lord, he is God. 
This is, this is revival. This is what he's been looking forward to. This is going to be the point of change. This is when things are going to shift around. This is when all those years that, that he spent in the wilderness, God was going to kind of validate his ministry, right? It's going to be good. And he shows up back in Jezreel thinking, certainly Ahab and Jezebel, they're either going to repent and it's going to be the most radical transformation in all of history or they're going to get dethroned and God's going to put his guy in charge. But instead the response is, may the gods deal ever so severely with me. Could you imagine how much of a defeat that would have felt like <laughs> to Elijah in that moment? May the gods? Did we not just settle this? They're not real. They have no power. What are you talking about, Jezebel? You just lost. I thought, I thought this was done. I thought this was behind me. You're supposed to repent. <laughs> God is working. He's moving. Doesn't happen. God moved in supernatural power. We saw probably one of like the most iconic movings of God in the Old Testament, one of them at least, happened on Mount Carmel. And it wasn't enough. I've got I've to think that he was probably a little disappointed. He was expecting something different. And it didn't materialize. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wrote this, that disappointment is the result of unmet expectations. Oftentimes, we have unhealthy expectations, and that allows us to get bummed out um, when things don't go as planned. But God's expectation here was from the Lord, I believe, because we know the Lord desires that all men would come to repentance. We know the Lord's desire is that people would turn their hearts towards him. And we see that not happen. I'm not talking about, when I'm talking about depression and discouragement this morning, I'm talking about us walking in the will of the Lord and doing what he's asked us to do, and we still wind up facing this aspect of disappointment. Friends, you are going to follow, if you're going to follow Jesus, you are going to wind up being disappointed at somewhere along the line. We have to figure out how we deal with that. It doesn't stop at disappointment. Uh, at disappointment, uh, it, it, it breeds into discouragement. And you're saying, well, what's the difference there? He's actually lost courage. This is the guy that just a few verses earlier fearlessly called out Ahab, the wicked king of Israel. Like, that's enough to get him executed right there, right? He's the guy that is facing down 850 false prophets, Right? This guy is bold. He's got some courage. This is the guy that prayed that the Lord would shut up the heavens and it happened. This guy is the mighty man of faith. This is the guy that, I mean, when he prays, things happen. He was this bad dude. Like, good dude, but bad. Like, anyway, language is confusing. But he had lost his hope. He lost his confidence here. He turns tail and he runs. What's going on? There's real reason for him to be discouraged. His life is being threatened, right? 
This, is, this, isn't like, uh, this isn't like, oh, somebody said something bad about me. No, the, the king and queen of Israel are like, I want that guy's head on a platter. And he, he's discouraged. He's lost his fight. He's lost his hope and his confidence. And it manifests in full-blown depression, right? He shows up in the wilderness. I noticed this when I was reading that he leaves his servant and goes off into the wilderness. And I, I think isolation is one of the tools of the enemy um, that uh, kind of can foster depression here. And I'm not going to go too far down that road, but I know for me, when I'm in this kind of funk, when I'm in this kind of way, I don't want people around me. I don't want comfort, even though a lot of the times that's what I need. I need that friend there to support me and lift me up and actually talk to me. But my natural tendency is to to leave him alone and isolate myself, which is dangerous. But he goes off into the wilderness here and runs for his life. And he prays to the Lord that he might die. This is the guy that, like, he lives by answered prayer, right? He prays that the, that the heavens get shut up, they get shut up. He prays that God would answer with fire, he answers with fire. He, God, he prays that it would rain, it will rain. Like, uh, James even goes to uh, use, uh, use Ezekiel, Elijah, his name begins with an E, as an example of a man who is just like you and I, but God answered his prayer because he was righteous. This is a guy that, you know, he's got a pretty good track record for answered prayer, at least in Scripture. And then he goes and prays to the Lord, God, would you just take my life? Would you just let me die? How many of you guys can thank God for unanswered prayer? Where he doesn't give us the answer that we want? Because here, God could have just been like, okay, whatever. I love, I love the fact, if you know the rest of Elijah's story, he's actually one of the only people in Scripture that doesn't die. Like, Jesus even dies, <laughs> gets resurrected. But Elijah just gets carried up in a whirlwind of fire. And I'm wondering if God was just like saying, there's no way I was going to answer that prayer where you asked me to die. <laughs> it, just, it just doesn't let it happen, right? <laughs> He's like, I'm not done with you. And uh, I think of this, but this is really, this is really the... A reality for a lot of people where they've lost hope. They've lost confidence. They really feel like there's no reason in going on. And he's very honest with the Lord. Lord, would you just let me die? I'm no better than my father's. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I can't make anything happen. And then something interesting happens. We pick up in verse 5. It says, then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, I don't know what a broom tree is, but whatever. A juniper tree. My translation says broom tree, okay? So I'm just picturing a tree with a bunch of brooms hanging off of it. <laughs> Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that, 40, of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. I don't know what was in that cake that he made, but I, I see these protein pancakes at the store sometimes. If they could get this recipe, I'm thinking they would be onto something. I mean, he went 40 days off of that angel-sustained protein pancake. Pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty rad, pretty intense. 
But what I noticed here is that before God even ministers to Elijah's spiritual needs, he looks out for the practical needs. He stirs him up and says, dude, you need to sleep. He lets him take a nap. <laughs> he says, you need to eat something. <laughs> and I say this not to sound unspiritual or anything like that. Sometimes to help get you out of the funk that you might be in, you need a nap <laughs> and a snack. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I love snacks. I love naps. I took a nap yesterday and it was glorious. I want to release you in that as the blessing of your pastor. It's okay to take, not right now. <laughs> I see some people's eyes like dozing. This, there's an appropriate time. <laughs> People are like, amen, pastor. <laughs> Whatever. But I remember somebody telling me this, and so then I went to Google to try to find out who actually said it. And I think it's one of those things that somebody has just said so long that nobody knows who actually said it first. Because uh, I saw everybody from like Mother Teresa to Billy Graham accredited with this thing that uh, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> What'd you say? You said John Elway. John Elway probably said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. But the reality here, friends, is rest is important. Rest is 100% important. That's why God instituted the Sabbath. A lot of the times we find ourselves discouraged, distraught, and distressed, and disappointed, and all of these things, simply because we haven't had time to check in with ourselves on actually, are we resting? God created a pattern of rest for us. And I think sometimes we think of like rest being weak. A number of years ago, Adam and I went to a concert in Portland to see this punk rock band that is awesome and they're pastors now. And we're having a great time, but there's two singers in this band. And one singer was uh, telling us, hey guys, it was just ungodly hot in that place. It was like hundred and something degrees outside and we were upstairs and the air conditioning was broken and you compile that in with like hundreds of uh, hundreds of like grown men that are running around in a circle in a mosh pit. It's just, it's not conducive. Like it was bad. I've never been more hot in my life. It was rough. And uh, you know, you had one singer of this band saying, hey guys, take a break. Nobody is going to judge you if you need to stop and get some water. We want everybody to be healthy and okay. And the other, the other singer of the band was like, we are 100% judging you right now, pansies. It's like, get in the pit. He's encouraging people to like swing from the pipes and the, and the other band member is like, no, seriously, don't swing from that pipe because it's raw sewage. We don't want that problem. It was, it was whatever. But there was this mentality that if you took a break, if you rested, that you were weak and you were silly you weren't a man. Um, <laughs> anyway, I tell that story because a lot of the times we think taking a break and taking a rest is weak and it's unproductive or it's lazy. And that's not true. God modeled rest for us in creation, right? Right? He, he took six days, created everything. On the seventh day, he rested. It wasn't because God got tired. Do you understand that? God cannot get tired. He didn't exhaust like all of his energy. He's like, oh man, that took a lot out of me. Uh, I better just take a break. He modeled it for us because it was something that he created us to do. He intended for us to rest. He intended for us to take a break. 
He modeled, for it, he modeled it for us in creation. And then he goes on to establish it for us as a command, right? We see the Sabbath as a command. And then he goes on and he promises rest to us as his beloved. And so I, I just want to encourage you, friends, let's lose the mentality that rest is for the weak. Rest is for those who are used by God and who want to serve him. Rest is important. And uh, I, think, I, think it's, I think if we're struggling with discouragement, if we're struggling with depression, it's important for us to take a step back, to, to take a step back, examine, are we resting well? Because you can work really well and be unproductive if you're not resting well. And I'm not just talking about taking a day off and doing nothing. I'm talking about actually being rejuvenated in his presence, actually spending time with God, actually being intentional about resting. And this would be a whole different sermon. It's just supposed to be a quick little point. But I would encourage you guys um, to not neglect the physical needs, not neglect sleep and food. Um, those are kind of important. And go on in verse 9. It says, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. I love this. Elijah goes and he gets alone with God. Right? This is happening. Uh, this is on happening on Mount Horeb. You might know it as Mount Sinai, a place where uh, God likes to meet with these main characters of the Bible. Right? He met with Moses there. He delivered the Ten Commandments there. He's meeting. Uh, he, he showed uh, Moses his glory when he was hidden in the cleft of the rock. And Elijah comes to this place. He's alone. And he starts venting to the Lord. You might even say he might start complaining to the Lord, but he starts telling God what is going on. You see, God asks this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? God doesn't need to know the answer to that question. How many of you guys know when God asks a question, it's not because he needs an answer. He asks it for our benefit. He's asking Elijah to vocalize what's actually going on because we have a loving father who actually cares about what we're going through. And wants to have a conversation with you about what is wrong. So Elijah begins to vent to God here. Now, I say this because venting to others is more often than not very unproductive. Most of the time, I think it leads to gossip and to sin. And that's kind of, our, that's kind of one of our natural reactions is we just want to talk about what's going on. Can I tell you that there is a safe place that it's always productive to talk to? And that is the Lord. <laughs> He wants to hear about what's going on. He wants to hear about what's going uh, on in your life. He wants to know about what's wrong and what's heavy upon your heart. We see this fleshed out in the Psalms, right? We see the psalmist. We see David continually back and forth telling God what's good and what's bad. <laughs> He's fleshing out his emotions. He's putting it down on paper, and we're privileged to be able to read that. When we're reading the Psalms, we're, it's essentially reading David's prayer journal, friends. And I want you to know that God is not intimidated and he's not somehow put off by you having an honest conversation with him about you telling him actually how you feel and what's going on. 
And that doesn't mean he's going to validate you and say, yeah, that's 100% right and that's 100% good. We see him actually bring correction here to Elijah here in a moment. But he cares enough, he wants to listen. And I think it would be extremely helpful for most of us if we were to just vocalize to the Lord rather than to our spouse, rather than social media. Dear God, please, some of you need to just get off Facebook. Stop venting about everything that's wrong with your life to social media and tell Jesus about it, and you might see things change. For real? Can we just be honest for a second? (laughs) But we see him vent to the Lord, and he has this honest way of saying, God, I've been so zealous for you. I've done everything right. (laughs) Given everything. I've been passionate about you. I've done what you've asked me to. And now they want to kill me. This is bad. He's essentially saying, God, I love you. I want to follow you. I've been serving you. But this sucks. You like Nate's translation? Anyway, whatever. God cares about how you feel. He does. And I know I've said that a number of times. And I feel like you just need to be released to tell him that. Be honest with you. Some of you, that might look like you getting in your truck like I did this last Tuesday and just going for a drive. Just probably sounded crazy. You know, it looked like I was talking to somebody in the passenger seat. It's like Pastor Nate has officially lost it. His mind has officially went south, whatever. Um, The reality is, friends, have a conversation with him. Write it down. Some of you guys are journalers. I have tried to be a journaler for years. We were acquired to in ministry school. Everybody encouraged me to do it. And the reality is, when I journal, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm the guy that is more vocal than it is pen to paper. Some of you are like, I need to hear that to be released. I can be a Christian without journaling. It's great. It's a great resource. Whatever. (laughs) It's okay to tell the Lord how you feel. It's okay to vent to him. Verse 11 picks up. He says, Then the Lord says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. Talk about a wind storm here. Like this wind is breaking rocks in half. It's that intense. It says, But the Lord was not in the wind. What do you mean? Like, how could the Lord not be in that? Go on, and it says, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. The Lord had to be in the fire, right? This is how he just showed up just a a few verses before. It says, the Lord was not in the fire, but after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in the mantle, went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? The same question. We have the same response again, that he's been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, because of the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go, return to your way. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Zaphat, of Abel, Mahola, 
you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all of those whose knees have not bowed to the Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So we see God bring this gentle correction and instruction, right? He says, you're not the only one left, Elijah. You're not that important. <laughs> okay? He doesn't say that. I mean, he doesn't make him feel bad about it either. He says, he genuinely encourages him and says, there's actually 7,000 more that have not bowed to Baal. You're not the only one left. And so if I, I'm going to tackle this, just kind of a recap. Rest is important, right? Practicing Sabbath is important. Being in tune with our physical needs. Sometimes we need a nap. Sometimes we need to eat better. We need some angel protein pancakes or whatnot. We need to be honest with the Lord about our emotions. Be able to have honest conversation with him. You need to be willing to tell God how you feel. But can I tell you that neither one of those things actually provides a real solution to the problem. They're helpful. They're stepping stones. They're necessary. But what Elijah needs more than anything else is a personal encounter with a living God. And, and I'm, not here to try to, I'm not here to try to diagnose anybody's issues this morning. I, I know that there is depression that comes from real chemical imbalance. I know that there are things that take place just uh, with, within biology that can affect your moods. But can I tell you, I believe in a God that can heal. I believe in a God that can move. That's one of the reasons why I fell in love with my wife is because our first conversation that we had over a smoothie down at Old Town Market was that God had healed her from years of being bipolar and being on different medications. And God stepped in and drastically changed her life. And so I can attest to the fact that that is very real and that is very powerful. And I, I'm here, I'm telling you that maybe a nap isn't going to fix your clinical depression. And having a, having a good meal isn't going to fix the chemical imbalance in your body. And, then, and you could go on and you just talking about it with God may not actually change those things. But I do know this, that one encounter with the living God can set everything right. I do believe that one encounter with the Lord can actually bring healing. I, I, I know that because I've seen it. I've experienced it firsthand. I'm not saying, man, if you guys take medication for depression or whatnot, that's fine. But I believe that God can still heal you to where you don't need it. And I know that that will get me canceled for, by a lot of people. But I've seen it too many times to not have it happen. But it all comes down to this place of having a real encounter with Jesus. Having a real encounter with the Lord. There's all this commotion. and If we've read the Bible, we would expect God to be in the fire. We'd expect God to be in the, in the earthquake. We'd expect God to be in the mighty rushing wind. But rather, he speaks in a gentle whisper. You, you ask yourself, why is that? I believe the whisper is the Lord's favorite way to speak because he knows that he has your attention if you respond. It's pretty easy to see the roaring fire outside your window, right? It's pretty, it's pretty easy to feel the earthquake. <laughs> 
I don't know, a couple weeks ago, or I guess a month ago, when all of our trees blew down up here, there was no way that I could sleep through that windstorm, right? I, there was something happening. God, are you coming back? What is going on? <laughs> you can expect God to move in all those mighty, mighty, just powerful demonstrations. They grab your attention. But the thing about a whisper is you have to be intentional to hear it. It's hard to hear a whisper when there's a bunch of distractions around. And I think, I think something that's important for us to remember, especially when God's speaking, is that there are often times where God is speaking and we don't hear because we're distracted by the commotion around us. And my encouragement to you, friends, if you want to be encouraged in the Lord, if this is something that you struggle with, Get alone with God. Where you turn off the cell phone, you throw it away, I don't care what you do. Where you get alone with God and his word and allow him to speak to you. Because as much as I, I could kind of uh, give you pointers and give you advice this morning, what I have to say to you is not going to supernaturally just bring encouragement and fix all the problems. But I, I can guarantee if you heard what the Lord is saying about you, if you heard what the Lord is directing you to do, things would change. And my prayer as a pastor is that we would create space, that we would create an environment, that we would be welcoming to the gentle whisper of the Lord that he might speak to us. Sometimes he screams. Sometimes he yells. Sometimes he's like, red flag, Nate, don't do this. And it's confirmed by the voice of like four or five witnesses that come alongside of me. I remember I had a girlfriend at one point in time when I was in Bible college that was just bad news for me. Um, her name was Monica, and my friends would call her D-Monica. It's, it's bad. I'm not condoning that. I'm not saying that that was nice or anything like that. But she was bad news for me. Bless, bless her. Uh, pray that God is ministering in her life, but <laughs> hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> oops. Uh, but the reality is I had plenty of friends and voices and pastors in my life that were telling me like, uh, you need to not be dating her. She is not who God has for you. And of course I needed those loud like road signs, like hit over the head with a two by four voices from the Lord uh, before I finally listened. But the reality is, uh, God doesn't always speak that way. It's not always so overt. He loves to speak in the whisper because it's in that place that he knows he has your attention. And so I wrote this down that I think it's important to clear distractions for us to intentionally lean in and hear from the Lord. You might not need to get on a like go on a 40-day journey, like a 40-day wilderness hike to some remote cave to hear the voice of the Lord. <laughs> but some of you might need to take a day off. Maybe take off the pastor hat. Maybe take off the employee hat. Maybe take off the mom or dad hat and uh, intentionally carve out time where you can just be with God. Without a phone, without the distraction of social media, without all the pressing responsibilities of life. I'm not saying just like dip out for like a four-week vacation to Hawaii or something like that. <laughs> the Lord speaks um, and provides. 
for real though, I think it's healthy. You know, for me, I love to go on a drive or I love to go snowboarding. And you might be like, that's not real, Pastor. It is. I was having a terrible time on Tuesday. I went snowboarding on Wednesday and encountered the Lord and things lifted. Okay? I don't know what it is for you. But you need to, you need to know that it's okay for you to have space and take time for your relationship with God. Nobody is going to look down upon you like, oh, man, you're a pansy. Or somehow you're, you're not spiritual enough if you're in this kind of crisis mode. But one of the things that I, I noticed here when God speaks, um, Elijah listens. Because it's pointless if he's nourished, if he's physical, if his physical needs are met. It's pointless if he gets to vent to the Lord. It's pointless if all of that happens and he doesn't stop to listen to what God actually speaks. But he does and he gives instruction to Elijah. He gives an assignment. And I have always felt the most discouraged when I didn't understand the assignment that God had given me. I believe a lot of us have probably experienced this as well. When we don't know what we're supposed to be doing, it's easy to kind of fall into the space of limbo where we're directionless. Our life, doesn't, our life seems to lack purpose. It seems to lack direction, and we're just kind of waiting, and we're just kind of floating. That, for me, has been the time where discouragement has uh, ramped up the most, where I've been most depressed, where I feel like, God, you know, I'm pastor here. I'm doing what you asked me to do, but I don't really know what's supposed to be happening at the church. I don't really know who you've called me to minister to. I'm not operating in what you instructed me to because I'm just, I'm in limbo. And I see to combat that, the Lord gave clear instruction to Elijah about what was next and he acted on it. He redefined purpose. And the cool thing about it was he didn't just like say, oh, it's okay, Elijah. You'll do better next time or things will get better. He gives him intentional purpose that revolves around the future generation of prophetic ministry that would reign in Israel. Calls him up, it calls up a successor for him in Elijah. <laughs> he hears the voice of the Lord, gives him direction. This doesn't come by Elijah just sucking it up after he hear God says, Hey, I need you to do this. And Elijah just somehow, like, okay, pull it together. There's a job to be done. I guess I just have to. Forget about how I feel. I believe he was supernaturally encouraged as he heard the voice of the Lord. That gave him divine instruction. I believe it came from hearing God. Something that a preacher can't do for you. Something that a song can't do for you. Something that you have to hear from the Lord for yourself. So if I was to reiterate this morning, discouragement's real. It's natural. And if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to regardless of whatever your theological outlook is, we have to learn how to deal with it. And I, I like to say this, that I, I don't believe that discouragement is sinful. I don't believe that even being depressed is sinful. 
You'd be like, well, the Bible says be joyful always, and, and we, we could figure that out later. But reality is, friends, I believe when we stay discouraged, when we stay in a place of disappointment and depression, it opens the door for the enemy like crazy. And it opens the door to sin. And my, my prayer is that we wouldn't let discouragement, that we wouldn't let disappointment, that we wouldn't let depression reign over us as the people of God. That we'd see it broken as we hear his voice. As he gives us instruction, as he gives us marching orders, as he gives us purpose, as we make room for it. So I, I wrote this down, practical steps to combat depression. And there's just what I've written down and what we've already talked about. I said, we need to practice Sabbath. We need to make sure that we're resting and resting well. And I, I, I highlighted here and put it in bold. Take a nap, get a snack. Boom. That's okay. Eat well, sleep well. Those are important things. But to get alone and to be honest with God, to tell him the truth. He can handle whatever it is that you want to say to him. I think you need to be honest with your emotions. If you're feeling like God has let you down, even though we may know that that's not the truth, don't be afraid to tell him that. Don't be afraid to tell him, God, this is really how I feel. I feel like you've abandoned me. I feel like you've forsaken me. I know your word says that you never would, but that's, that's how I feel right now. I hurt. Be honest with him. Tell him exactly what's going on. And then clear the distractions and stop and listen. But it's not enough to do that. Because <laughs> I believe when he speaks, he's going to give direction. And it's important that we act on what he says. I've heard so many people ask God to speak and then he speaks something that they don't want to hear. But they just kind of leave it there. We ask for more of God. We ask for more of his presence. We ask for more of him, but we've been unwilling to do what he instructed us last to do with what he gave. It winds up not being a healthy cycle. Friends, this isn't a message that I can give an altar call to right now that you can hear from God and then just make everything better. But I, I hope that this morning that you could leave in the comfort and encouragement of the Holy Spirit that you are not the only one that struggles with this. You're not the only one that gets beat up by the enemy or beat up by yourself if you struggle with discouragement, if you struggle with depression. We see mighty men of God throughout Scripture struggle with it. I struggle with it a lot. I wish I didn't as much as I do, but I do. But one thing I have learned is that he's faithful if we make room for him to speak. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com.
Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.